You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 266, Part 2, entitled Esoteric Lessons, 1910-1912 by Rudolf Steiner. These are notes written from memory by the participants and, and also meditation verses by Rudolf Steiner, translated by James Hines. Meditation verses used repeatedly in the Esoteric Lessons from 1910 to 1912. These are the verses. Verses directed to the spirit of the day. It has been reported that most lessons began with the invocation of the spirit of the day, yet this is not always recorded in the notes. Meditations for understanding the time nature of the hierarchies. Friday evening for Saturday. Saturn. Great all-encompassing spirit, you who filled infinite space when nothing of my bodily members was yet present. You were. I lift up my soul to you. I was in you. I was a part of your power. You sent forth your powers. And in the first beginnings of the earth, my body's original form was mirrored. I myself was in the forces you sent out. You were. The archetype of myself gazed at you. It gazed on me myself. I, who was a part of you, you were. Saturday evening for Sunday, Sun. Great all-encompassing spirit, from your life many archetypes came forth. Long ago, when my life forces were not yet present, you were. I lift up my soul to you. I was in you. I was a part of your forces. You united yourself with the earth's very beginning, with the life sun, and gave me the power of life. I myself was in your radiant forces of life. You were. My power of life radiated in your powers of life into space. My body began its becoming within time. You were. Sunday evening for Monday, Moon. Great all-encompassing spirit, in your forms of life 
shone forth sensation, when my sensation was not yet present. You were. I lift up my soul to you. I was in you. I was a part of your sensations. You united yourself with the earth's beginning, and in my body began the shining forth of my own sensation. In your feelings I felt myself. You were. My feelings felt your being in themselves. My soul began to be within itself because you were in me. You were. Monday evening for Tuesday, Mars. Great all-encompassing spirit, knowledge lived in your sensations when knowledge was not yet given to me. You were. I lift up my soul to you. I drew into my body. In my sensations I lived unto myself. You were in the life sun. In my sensation your being lived as my being. The life of my soul was outside your life. You were. My soul felt its own being within itself. Longing arose in it, longing for you out of whom it came. You were. Tuesday evening for Wednesday, Mercury. Great all-encompassing spirit, in the knowledge of your being is knowledge of the world, which is to come to me. You are. I will unite my soul with you. May the guide who appointed me the guide who knows, enlighten my path. Feeling your guide, I tread my path of life. Your guide is in the life sun. He lived in my longing. I will take up his being into mine. You are May my strength take up the strength of my appointed guide into itself. Blissfulness enters me, the blissfulness in which the soul finds the spirit. You are. Wednesday evening for Thursday, Jupiter. Great all-encompassing spirit, in your light, life streams to the earth, 
My life is in your life. You are. My soul works in your soul. I go my way with your appointed guide. I live with him. His being is the forming image of my own being. You are. The being of the guide in my soul finds you, all-encompassing spirit. Bliss is mine from your being's breath. You are. Thursday evening for Friday. Great all-encompassing spirit, in your life I live with the life of the earth. In you I am. You are. I am in you. The guide has brought me to you. I live in you. Your spirit is the forming image of my own being. You are. Spirit has found the all-encompassing spirit. Blissfulness of God moves on to creation of new worlds. You are. I am. You are. Every day after the preceding meditations, these words, quote, every day after the preceding meditations, close quote, which were lacking in the original, were given by Maurice Steiner for the first printing of title Aus den Inhalten der Esoterischen Schule, volume 3, Dornach 1951. Great all-encompassing spirit, May my eye lift itself from below to above. May it discern you in the all-encompassing. May the spirit of my being be illuminated with the light of your messengers. May the soul of my being be enkindled by the fiery flames of your servers. The will of my eye take hold of the power of your creating word. You are. May your light stream into my spirit. May your life warm my soul. May your being permeate my willing so that I achieve understanding for the shining of your light for the warmth-filled love of your life, for the creative word of your being. You are. Meditation. Quote, In the spirit lay the germ of my body. Close quote. The meditative verse with which the esoteric lessons were concluded from a certain point in time onward. In the spirit 
lay the seed of my body. And the Spirit has incorporated into my body the eyes of sense, that through them I may see the light of bodies. And the Spirit has imprinted into my body thinking and sensation and feeling and will, that through them I may perceive bodies and act upon them. In the Spirit lay the seed of my body. In my body lies the seed of the Spirit, and I will incorporate into my spirit supra-sensory eyes, that through them I may behold the light of spirits, and I will imprint into my spirit wisdom and strength and love, so that the spirits may work through me, and I become the self-conscious instrument of their deeds. In my body lies the seed of the Spirit. In pure rays of light shines the divinity of the world. In the pure love of all beings raise the godliness of my soul. I rest in the divinity of the world. I will find myself in the divinity of the world. Esoteric lesson given in Kassel on February 6, 1910. Record A is from the collection of Elisabeth Freda. Record B notes from Wilhelm Überschleiden. Record A, Sun, Earth, Meditation Study. Many who enter an esoteric training are very disappointed and say that they had imagined the exercises to be much more energetic and the effects of the exercises to be much more drastic. Those who say this to themselves should consider as soon as possible that they are caught in a great error, and they should make the greatest efforts to correct this error as soon as possible. It is not the exercises that are not energetic enough, but rather the human being. It is not the exercises that are ineffective, but the human being who is not making them effective. By living an esoteric life, the student should become an entirely different person. He or she must add something new to the old. In earlier times, people were faced with the choice, esoteric training or death. People had to subject themselves to exercises and trials that, if they were mature enough, led them on the esoteric path, or they perished in these trials. Physical death occurred. Students said to themselves, If I cannot pass this test, then I am not yet mature enough for an esoteric life, so continued life in a physical body has no value for me. It is better for me to go through physical death in order to prepare myself in Devakan for a new incarnation that can then lead to an esoteric life. Close quote. Trials of this sort are no longer possible today. Our entire constitution 
is no longer so organized. However, students should arrive at the point where they are indifferent to all physical events. The human being must become an entirely different person. Those who today already want to assert that they have overcome the physical after doing exercises for a short period are succumbing easily to a base illusion. Truly, students must work to overcome themselves. Truthfulness is the first virtue that must be acquired by those who wish to enter upon the esoteric path. Truthfulness in the extreme, over and against themselves. Another essential word for those striving esoterically is patience. Consider the sun. Imagine the spirit of the sun. How the spirit causes the sun to rise and set day after day and has done this already for millions of years and will continue doing this for unimaginably long periods of time to come to lead the earth to its destiny. We should place ourselves in this patience and then we will not think that an exercise is ineffective when it has not had an effect after three, four, or five years. The Lord's Prayer This wonderful rendering of the sevenfold lawfulness of the world is a meditation of great significance that any student can undertake daily. I know one of those whom we call the Masters of Wisdom and Harmony of Feelings who says, quote, I take the Lord's Prayer as a meditation only once a month. The rest of the time I attempt to make myself mature and worthy enough to be allowed to immerse myself in even just one of the sentences of this wonderful meditation. Close quote. Thus we must spiritually place ourselves in relation to a meditation. That we want to make ourselves worthy enough to be allowed to use it. Theosophy is not only a theoretical study, but also a living praxis. We must feel the parables in nature. There is something spiritual behind everything physical. If we properly undertake our meditations... If we advance on the esoteric path, then we will soon reach the point where we feel something in us that corresponds to what we see in nature, sprouting and growing in spring and summer, and the melancholy of dying away in autumn. We will experience it in waking in the morning and in falling asleep in the evening. As we fall asleep in the evening, so too the plants in the autumn transition into what is night for them. Only the seeds remain. The capacities that were attained during the life of the summer are contained in them. These capacities awaken again in the spring to new activity, just as our strength and capacities from the previous evening awaken again in the morning. Again and again we must fall asleep and then awaken, must use our abilities during the day and gather new forces during the night. Behind the physical plants there are lofty spiritual beings who must advance to new activity again and again in the spring, and then in the autumn 
they are submerged in the night of the plants when only the seed of the plant remains. But these beings are so advanced that they need to complete this alternation only once within a year, while the human being must go through this alternation of falling asleep and waking every twenty-four hours. It is simply no longer necessary so often for those lofty beings. Feeling oneself unified with the universal spirit, with the spiritual, must not remain only a mere saying. We must truly feel, experience within ourselves what lies hidden in the sequence of spring, summer, autumn, what lies hidden in nature's springing to life and dying away. Spiritual life flows into us during meditation. In order to be able to give a proper reception to this spiritual life, we must prepare ourselves in a suitable way. We do this through study. Just as the sun, which sends out its rays and power, would find only an empty space if the earth were not prepared and arranged to receive and use its power, so too our meditations would not find soil to be fruitful. Our meditations would find an empty space if we did not prepare ourselves through study, if we did not make ourselves receptive for the spiritual life that flows into us through meditation. Thus we can see macrocosm and microcosm. Students should give themselves to their meditations with total fervor, with complete devotion and concentration. They should completely and entirely suppress their thoughts of the everyday, and open themselves only to lofty spiritual forces. The meditator should think of every meditation as a sacrifice, as sacrificial incense that rises up to the gods. In this way we contribute to progress and harmony, although lower, egotistical, selfish thoughts provide the ground for catastrophes. There is no human way to prevent these catastrophes, such as we have recently had and such as are still to come, from becoming increasingly terrible. One can do whatever one wants. They will still occur. In all that we do, in all our thoughts, we must bear the spiritual in mind, also in our feelings. We have descended from the spiritual we will again ascend into the spiritual, enriched and perfected. Small quote of the beginning of the meditation at the conclusion. In the spirit lay the germ of my body. In my body lies the seed of the spirit. End of record A. Record B, sun, earth, meditation, study. If spiritual exercises are not effective, then the cause is never in the exercises, but always in the meditator. Those doing the exercises must immerse themselves in them with fervor, and as a result become entirely different persons. In ancient times people were confronted with the choice, success or death. Those who were not mature enough to pass the test 
could then hope for better success in the next life. That secured them passage through Devakan. Today, however, at least external life must become a matter of indifference to the student. He or she must become a different person. In the first instance, students must become truthful concerning themselves. Then they must learn patience. Example the patience with which the sun constantly shines on everyone and everything. The Lord's Prayer as Material for Meditation A master said, I take only one petition for meditation once a month. The rest of the time I try to make myself mature and worthy enough to understand this petition. Theosophy is a living praxis. We must experience everything physical as a parable for the spirit, which is its foundation. Thus we come to the point of sensing within us an alternation such as from spring to summer and fall, sprouting and growing in nature in the spring and the melancholy dying away in the fall. Just as we fall asleep every evening, so do the plants in the fall. Only the seeds remain and in them the capacities acquired in the summer. In the spring these forces awaken again, just as ours do every morning. There are lofty spiritual beings that stand behind the physical world. They are so far advanced that they need only once per year to perform this alternation that we go through every day. Preparation for meditation through study in order to make the ground receptive. Meditators should be devoted to the exercise with total concentration. They should set aside all everyday thoughts and open themselves only to the highest spiritual forces. They should understand meditation as a sacrifice. They should see it as the incense of offering, so to speak, which rises up to the gods. Thus we should too, of course, constantly keep the spiritual in mind in our lives and all our actions. In this way we contribute to the harmony of the great whole according to our best forces. We originate in the spirit and we are spirit. This should be expressed in our whole being. Esoteric Lesson Given in Cologne on February 27, 1910 Manuscript from Hulda Schutendietz Doubt, Superstition, Illusions of the Personality We must find our path in life through learning. We should not place ourselves in life with one-sided judgmental views. If we test everything that science, art, and the various worldviews offer us according to the state of today's science, then we will find on our way three threatening forces, doubt, superstition, and the illusion of personality. Do not avoid them. Do your own research, for we are not allowed to close ourselves off from modern science, neither from its inventions nor from its research. It is even our duty to take notice of science, although we receive an entirely different teaching in our theosophical circles, which is laughed at and derided by modern science. 
modern science for its part, cannot assess our teachings because it knows only matter and its research relates only to material and physical things of existence. However, in order to do justice to science, we should allow doubt concerning what is taught here to arise within us. We should not be afraid to doubt so that we can arrive at inner clarity in ourselves. In this way we struggle through to esoteric teachings out of our own consciousness. And what does it mean to defeat superstition? The fetish that Africans see and worship in an idol, in a piece of wood, we call superstition. However, if they are not thinking of something spiritual that stands behind it, to that extent it is superstition. But we can just as well speak of superstition when we see how modern scholars build their fetishes in their hypotheses of atoms and molecules, which also remain as nothing but hypothetical matter, if one does not admit to the spiritual standing behind it. However, we should not allow this kind of superstition to rise within us. There is still a third thing that joins doubt and superstition, that is the illusion of personality. These three forces, which rise and sink within the human soul, want to rule the human being. If we have struggled through powerful doubt to knowledge of the truth and through superstition to faith in the spirit that lies behind all matter, then we will also be able to overcome the illusions concerning our personality. However, this is often the most difficult. Even if we sometimes think we are inwardly free human beings and believe that we confront the facts of the world and other people, Without prejudice, nevertheless, this only too often mirrors the illusions of our personality. One more thing must be brought to our attention. Do not carry our teaching into social gatherings of another kind. Speak of our teachings only where you have come together for this purpose. Do not carry them forth to argue with outsiders and speak just as little about them during your mealtimes for on such occasions only light conversation should be conducted. It is best if you avoid society where only ordinary gossip of the day is exchanged. However, if you must engage in such gatherings because of your position in life or if you are forced to do so for other reasons, then you should attend them in a spirit entirely different from before, not because you enjoy them, but rather you do this as a duty so that you do not offend anyone because of who you are. I do not say this in order to give a moralizing sermon, because I do not forbid anything at all. However, for this reason, I have to say it to you. Esoteric Lesson, Munich, March 13, 1910 Manuscript from Matilda Scholl in esotericism we must pay attention to something we call the spirit of the day. The creative, divine beings have brought a different spirit to expression in each day. And the masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings have given us meditations with which we can approach these spirits 
on each different day. We want to begin today, Sunday, with the verse that the Masters gave for it. Readers aside, and here's the beginning of it. End of readers aside. Great all-encompassing spirit, from your life many archetypes came forth. And that's the end of the sample. Continue the reading. Today we want to discuss how easily an esotericist tends to forget even the simplest introductory exoteric principles of theosophy. Such a principle is, quote, everything perceptible to the senses is maya, is illusion, close quote. Every esotericist should use this as a constant meditation. Most, however, will think to themselves that they already understood this statement long ago. But very few consider how little they bring it into their lives, into their feelings, and few consider what they should include under this statement. For example, one might say, quote, Every morning I pray the Lord's Prayer and draw strengthening forces for the whole day from the spiritual contents of this wonderful prayer. Close quote. Now, a master of wisdom said that he prays the Lord's Prayer only once a month, while the rest of the time he prepares himself to pray it worthily. Thus one could say that one also wanted to pray it only once in a month, for one must imitate a master. But what would that be? That would be absolute arrogance. That would be an expression of the feeling that we could do the same as a master, that what we can draw from the spiritual content of the Lord's Prayer at His elevated position is also available to us. We often think that we have already eliminated a trait such as arrogance, but have only shifted it to another corner of our souls. For these traits are also maya. So, too, the concepts we have made here on the physical plane of good and evil, just and unjust. When we spoke in the exoteric lessons of the influences from luciferic beings on the one hand, we formed the point of view that these influences are bad and that we must oppose them. On the other hand, we know that Lucifer brought us freedom. However, we absolutely must not carry our learned concepts of good and evil, just and unjust, over with us into the higher regions in which Lucifer and the good gods are engaged in what is expressed as a battle, indeed as a battle that unfolds for the most part in human souls. There is an occult secret that certain human traits developed too quickly during earthly evolution. Lucifer is involved in this. How does this come about? Lucifer comes from the old moon stage of evolution and brings the tempo of the moon to everything that falls under his influence. Since he influences our intellect and our reason, they have been developed far ahead in time. We will go through many incarnations with the most varied experiences, yet our intellect, our reason, will be the same as today. But what is the consequence of this premature development? It is that we cannot bring our intellect into harmony with the wisdom that we find given on the earth. And from this, error after error arises. 
I can give you a trivial example of this. After the first terrible eruption of Mount Pele, the local scholars calculated that a longer pause would come next. However, more eruptions came, worse than before, and lava and ash buried not only the proclamations of the scholars, but also the scholars themselves. This is an example of how our combinatorial intellect, instead of slowly permeating the wisdom of nature's powers, rushes ahead and thereby finds itself on false paths. Lucifer has his influence in play all over the earth. But we would be in error if we wanted to find an expression of this influence in earthquake catastrophes, in storms, weather, and hail. On the contrary, we are to seek his influence in everything that is blossoming quickly toward ripeness. And this acceleration must be held back, hindered by the good gods. Weather catastrophes are even often the expression of the good gods. They are the hindrances that the good gods must place against Lucifer in order to avoid an evolution that takes place too fast. And indeed, they are hindrances that also correspond to moon evolution in order to compensate for Lucifer's moon temple. What was proper during the moon stage of evolution is now destructive in its effect. And in the same way, the good gods must intervene to impede the development of an esotericist. What, then, is Lucifer's work in our esoteric life? It is his influence that causes us to take the maya of our everyday concepts from material life over into our meditations. However, so that we do not enter the spiritual world unprepared on this erroneous path, the good gods throw hindrances onto our path, hindrances such as all our bad character traits. They are arrogance, vanity, envy, anger, and ill will, which break out when we approach the spiritual world with our earthly attitudes and feelings. And until we have eliminated them ourselves, the spiritual world remains closed to us, because these worlds must be kept pure from everything that is maya. When we reflect on this relationship of the good gods, of Christ, to the Luciferic beings, to Lucifer, then the meditative sentence, quote, everything around us is maya, is illusion, close quote, will appear to us in an entirely different light. We become aware of how often we forget in everyday life that things and characteristics that we think are essential are really only maya. The end of that lesson. Esoteric Lesson, Munich, March 15, 1910 Manuscript from Matilda Scholl and Amelie Fugger-Glett We want to begin today's esoteric lesson with a reading of the prayer to the Spirit of the Day. Exoteric churches direct their prayer to God in general. However, theosophists know that every interval of time has its own regent, and so they turn in humility to the spiritual being who under the name Mars rules over today, Tuesday. 
quote, great, all-encompassing spirit, knowledge lived in your sensations, close quote, continue the reading. Those who enter upon an esoteric training must be clear that they are thereby undertaking something very serious, that they must work on themselves with all seriousness in order one day to be capable of participating in esoteric work. In what way should an esotericist work on himself or herself? We know that the human being's etheric body is born only in the seventh year. Until then, the etheric body surrounds the physical body like a mother sheath. Now, until the fourteenth year, in which the astral body is born, the etheric body should be prepared in the right way for its later development. But all kinds of unfinished and undigested components are attached to it, partially from earlier incarnations, partially from the present one. Everything that lives in us as habit is developed in the etheric body from the seventh to the fourteenth year, and according to how we solidify our views into prejudices, educators can have a great influence here. Close According to this, a person will be, for example, more or less able to take up theosophy. Those who acquire firmly defined opinions will find theosophy's teachings less accessible than those who remain open to everything new. The etheric body is fully developed between the seventh and fourteenth year. If children do not take in great role models, if they do not look up in reverence to an authority, then the etheric body during this age, seven to fourteen years, will not be soft and pliable. Such people then have a difficult time finding themselves in life. The etheric body is hardened, and it costs a great deal of effort to dissolve this hardening. The moon forces, luciferic forces, make use of this and flow into it. Not without good reason did Christ say, quote, Watch and pray. Close quote. The astral body then develops from the fourteenth or fifteenth until the twenty-first or twenty-second years. The remnants that remain attached to this body are by far not as troublesome for the reception of the teachings of theosophy as the etheric obstacles, because the etheric body is a much denser mass than the astral body. From the twenty-first year until the twenty-eighth year, the self, the human eye, capital, now develops. And the teachings of the masters of wisdom and harmony are so designed to be appropriate for our time that they work primarily on the eye, are taken hold of by the eye. Earlier, This was not the case. Then an esoteric teacher had to work not only on the eye, but also on the astral body. However, with the constitution of humanity today, with its much more individual inclinations, this would not be possible. If a teacher tried to intervene in an astral body today by attempting to direct the passions, drives, and desires, this would immediately call forth a revolution in these astral regions. For the human self, the I should be developed only in freedom in human beings of the present time. 
what people acquire in the eye as knowledge through the teachings of theosophy, they must apply to ennoble their older but less lofty bodies. Why can human beings understand all the teachings of theosophy through their thinking, through the eye? We received the physical body on old Saturn. On old Sun, the etheric body was newly added. Then the physical body was in the Sun state. The etheric body, however, was in the Saturn state, that is, the first state. On the old moon, the newly added astral body was in the Saturn condition, the etheric body in the Sun condition, and only the physical body was in the moon condition. On Earth, the physical body is in the earth state. The newly added youngest part, the eye, however, is in the Saturn state. For this reason, the eye understands everything that has happened since old Saturn times, for it is Saturn within us. End of lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Hamburg, May 16, 1910. Record A, manuscript from Matilda Scholl. Record B, notes from Günther Wagner. Record A. Among theosophists, one often hears that an esoteric development is associated with dangers. In response to this, it must be stressed that one should not let oneself be held back from treading the esoteric path because of a feeling of fear. Those who get instruction from a mystery school that has a right to exist and who properly follow these instructions will develop themselves in the right way. The main thing is to awaken the proper seriousness within and to entirely permeate oneself with the knowledge one learns in the esoteric lessons. It is always good for esotericists to say to themselves that they still have a long path ahead of them. One can already long ago have grasped something with the intellect and still not guide one's life according to that knowledge by a long way. An example for this is found in the statement that should be well known to all theosophists, quote, everything that surrounds us is maya, close quote. There are people for whom this principle is very obvious, who, however, never apply it to their lives, who allow pain and joy to affect them without saying, quote, if everything is maya, then the cause of my pain is also maya, close quote. But it is good that this is the case, for if people were to take this principle to heart, into their feelings too soon, then perhaps they could not withstand the shock that they would thereby experience when they apply it to their pain. This requires great strength that must be slowly developed before applying it to the great events of life. Indeed, we develop strength by practice in applying the truth of this principle to the small, everyday occurrences that surround us in life. We know that everything that surrounds us shows itself to us in a way other than it really is. Let us take, for example, a red object. By what means do we see the red color? By means of the light that falls upon it. If the object is in darkness, then we do not see it as red. But when light shines upon it, the red color arises through the fact that the object absorbs 
all the other colors called forth by the light. Only the red color is reflected back, which the object cannot use, does not want or like. It shows us precisely what, in its essence, it is not. Can human beings manage to penetrate into this inner aspect? Can they come to know the true essence of things? They can do this only through meditative means. If we remain at visual perception, at the mental picture, then we also remain caught in maya. But we usually do something else. When we meet a color, say red, it then exerts an effect on our sensations, our feelings. We have a feeling of refreshment when we are looking at the color red. A blue that is lightly mixed with violet will convey to us a mood of devoted reverence. We have these sensations within us, and we have them with respect to the feeling of the true. The objects that cause these feelings may be maya, may come into being and pass away, but the feelings themselves remain the same. We could go for a walk in the woods, hear a rustling, and be startled and scared by it because we imagine it to be caused by a snake, when actually a gust of air was the cause. Farther on, we might again hear a rustling, but this time it actually comes from a snake. Each time our fear is the same. It is true even though the cause was an illusion the first time. But how do we manage to get behind to the true essence of things through our feelings? When we see the plants in the springtime sprouting, shooting forth and blossom, how are we to recognize the truth behind what they extend to us as maya? There is a moment in the life of plants when they show us something of their inner essence, and this moment occurs when they begin to die away. When does this moment occur? At fertilization. Until then, the plant has expended all its energy to reject what it does not want. Now it has received something from outside, and its life is turned around, so to speak. It loses the power of defense and withdraws back into itself. The energy that it had applied outward, it now turns inward. Can we awaken a feeling in ourselves that is like this process in the soul life of the plant? When do we want to withdraw and turn within ourselves? When do we lose the power to defend ourselves toward the outside world? With the feeling of shame. When we awaken this feeling in us without its being occasioned by an external event and also observe a fertilized plant, then we become aware that exactly the same feeling lives in the plant, that it lives in the plant so intensely that it causes the plant's death. In the autumn, a feeling of enormous shame goes through the plant world. The red rose is a special example of this. What color would we then choose for the feeling of dying away, of drawing back from the outside world and turning toward the spirit? black, and therefore we have the black cross upon which red roses are blossoming, 
black carbonized wood, in which everything external has died, is for us an expression of the fact that the Spirit is revealed behind all death and dying. Goethe once spoke of the color that the earth will have when it is dying away at the end of the present cycle and is passing over into a spiritual kingdom fructified by the Spirit. It will have to, quote, glow in flaming red, close quote. And this statement originates in a deep knowledge. For how could the earth otherwise glow but with deep shame when it is ripe to be fertilized by the Spirit? If in this way we awaken within ourselves feelings that are caused by external things, then we will come closer to the truth behind external things. But we can also awaken pictures and feelings within ourselves without any external reason whatsoever. We can produce mental pictures and feelings all alone within us. Then we are together with the world within us that was not called forth, by any external cause, and thus we can find our way to absolute truth. This should happen in our meditation. When we look at the sun and meditate on its enlivening influence, we always have an external reason for the meditation. However, when we ourselves awaken a mental picture of light using the words, in pure rays of light, and so forth, and then imagine that it is the garment of God. Then we have created something that is not bound to some external object. And when we awaken the feeling of love for all beings in the next lines, then we are permeating ourselves with this feeling, and it will become a powerful germinating force within us. The end of Record A. Record B. Well-known general principle, everything is maya, illusion. But it is very difficult to arrange one's life according to the meaning of this principle only. And this is good. A soul would not be able to bear a sudden change. Let us consider a red plant. The red that it appears to us is only an illusion. It would not appear that way in the dark. It is only the effect of sunlight. Indeed, the plant does not show us its true inner being. It rays back to us not the colors that it absorbed, its actual characteristics, but what it does not want. Thus its color is indeed maya. However, a time does come when the plant shows something of its inner being, the time of bearing fruit, when it begins to weaken. Then it has only the power to work on itself and no longer the power to hide its inner nature. The feeling that then holds sway in it is shame. This is something real. At the edge of the forest a rustling is heard. We believe that it is a snake and are alarmed, but it was only the wind. At the other end of the same forest there really is a snake. What is real in both instances is the feeling of fear. We should learn to feel with the plant, which shows the feeling of shame when fading and dying. 
Then we will gradually learn the laws that stand behind the plant and see that all color is only maya, illusion. Goethe was right when he asked, quote, On the day of the last judgment, when our earth will change its form of appearance, in what color will it radiate? Close quote. And he answered, quote, In fiery red. Close quote. It is a feeling of shame because it is beginning to pass away. The end of record B and the end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson, Hamburg, May 19, 1910. Record A, manuscript from Matilda Scholl. Record B, notes from the collection of Elisabeth Freda. Record A. Before we begin today's esoteric lesson, I want to direct a prayer to the spirit of Thursday. Esotericists should increasingly acquire a truer, higher modesty that leads them to turn not to the highest divinity, but to consider that between this divinity, which we cannot even imagine with our highest human intellect, and all of us, the great hierarchies are present. Beginning quote, Great all-encompassing spirit, in your light life streams to the earth. Close that. Steiner again. Today I again want to illuminate our meditations from another side. Esotericists, through their meditations, want to approach the Spirit of Christ more intensely. They want to try to connect with Him more intimately than they could through exoteric Christianity. The Christ principle's entry into our earth evolution was so decisive, even for external history, that we calculate our timeline according to it. At the time when Zoroaster beheld in the sun the approaching form of the Spirit of the Sun, he gathered disciples around him in order to make them into servants of the great Ahura Mazda. And he prepared himself more and more to take this Spirit of the Sun into himself. When the earth with all its beings looks up to the sun, then it must say that it cannot do what the sun can do, send forth light. The earth would be a dark black body if the light of the sun did not permeate it, and if the earth could not reflect back this light. Now, since Christ became the planetary spirit for the earth through the event on Golgotha, he is in the forces that cause the green covering of the earth to shoot forth. The masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings give us the great truths in symbols, and here above all it is the rose cross, which mirrored in us, can awaken and strengthen the power of Christ in us. In the last esoteric lesson, we saw that the red rose brings the feeling of shame to expression in the color red. Now we know that all colors stimulate their complementary color within us. Thus red calls forth green. Parenthesis, compare entitled The Education of the Child. Close parenthesis. Thus the sight of the black cross awakens the white, radiant sunlight of the Christ in us. And through the red roses, the power is stimulated that allows green life to shoot forth from the red roses. 
When we imagine the rose cross with this feeling and let it live in us in this way, we participate in part of the power of our earth, our earth spirit, the Christ. As esotericists, we must constantly be trying to bring good thoughts to the things that appear to us as maya. We must be permeated by the feeling that in everything there sleeps a spark of this power, which will one day break forth in order to ray out over all that is evil. We should also bear within us complete trust that all that is good on the earth, all that is positive, will and must emerge victorious. The end of Record A. Record B. It is impossible for human beings to approach God directly, and therefore it is better to try to approach the spirit of the day by reverently calling upon this spirit with appropriate expressions. The parenthesis, the spirit of Jupiter is called upon. Close parenthesis. The loftiest of all symbols is the cross. We can draw from it the entire history of the world, and even natural science could be constructed out of it. If we observe how colors have complementary colors, which are well noted by natural science, then we will also understand that the particular colors that are used for the rose cross exert a specific effect that we can experience in our soul as the complementary colors. It was already pointed out in the small pamphlet titled The Education of the Child how the color red has a calming effect within the soul. One would, at the same time, be able to see that the soul is immersed in green. It produces the complementary color. In the observation of the black cross with red roses, the black, which otherwise is darkness for us, becomes as white light. Thus one can understand that when meditating the black cross, light arises in our souls that can bring us to enlightenment. The red of the roses produces green as its reflection in the soul and brings us to a very lofty feeling when we imagine the effects of Christ's power. Zarathustra, or Zoroaster, saw how Christ, who for him was still connected to the sun, was to stream down to the earth. And as that happened, the earth was fructified, filled with the Spirit of Christ. And this Spirit then became the Spirit of the earth. The earth, which until then had been dark, was inwardly filled with light. And the effects of this light showed itself in the green that covered the earth. The living, sprouting green is the effect of the Christ Spirit in the earth. The earth is thereby permeated, so to speak, and it is literally true that we walk on the earth on the body of Christ, and the green is his etheric body. Through the meditation of the rose cross we become illuminated within, and the effect of green will awaken in our souls the power of Christ, which also awakened in the earth by this same power. And when this power works in us, we will feel the greatest trust growing in us that pure love must overcome all evil 
and that truth can be found. That is contained for us in the words, beginning of, quote, in pure rays of light, end of record B and end of that lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Hamburg, May 25, 1910. Record A, notes from the collection of Elizabeth Freda. Record B, manuscript from Matilda Scholl. Record C, manuscript from Alice Kinkle. Record A, there's the beginning here of the quote, Great all-encompassing spirit, in the knowledge of your being is knowledge of the world. Close quote. The last time we saw how the symbols that are given to us in our meditations can and should work upon us. Now today, in order to enclose these three esoteric lessons in a circle, I want to speak about the erroneous paths upon which we can find ourselves as esotericists. In ordinary exoteric life, we have all kinds of terms for characteristic traits that we know as good or evil. These terms are often inadequate and one-sided for an esotericist, for every character trait has two sides, a good one and a bad one. And maintaining the proper balance must be one of an esotericist's chief tasks. Altogether, esotericists must constantly guard themselves, be on the watch. Human traits are such that when they remain in proper proportions, Human beings can control them very well with their eye, capital. However, if we allow one of them to become too intensive, then the eye can fall under the power of that trait. This is not so dangerous for people who are living only exoterically, as the spirit of the everyday will bring them back into balance. But it is different for esotericists. A character trait that acquires dominion over them, can lead them into all kinds of dangers. Above all, something like this can come to expression already in their present life as an illness of the physical body. I would like to clarify this with an example. Who among us does not know irritation and a bad mood? All of us have certainly already been subject to them, but esotericists must now attempt to fight against them with the ordinary self or I. If they allow a bad mood to master them, something very specific happens. They fall prey to the false spirits of heaviness. There really is a spirit or spirits of heaviness. In itself, the spirit of heaviness belongs to the primal powers, parenthesis, spirits of personality or archai, close parenthesis, and is the one who in the morning brings us back to our physical bodies when we awaken. That belongs to the field of work of the spirit of heaviness, and it is good and proper for us. Now among these spirits are those who go beyond their field of work, and want to work in the realm of the spirits of form. These are the ones that overcome the etheric body of an esotericist who surrenders to irritation or a bad mood. They then change the etheric body so that the esotericist falls victim to hypochondria. In the physical realm, this is then expressed in illness of the digestive tract. 
This can also be said in exoteric lectures. We must remember that in our esoteric lessons we are receiving direct messages from the Master who intends these messages especially for esotericism. Another character trait that an esotericist should constantly be on the watch for, should constantly be observant for, so that he or she does not succumb to it, is vanity and arrogance. We are often not aware how far we have already succumbed to it and therefore must give this special attention. How many imagine that they would like to help others because they, quote, love humanity, close quote. However, when one tells them that they can achieve this helpfulness only through unceasing assiduous study, one notices that they really don't want to do this. They would like to take matters in hand and act immediately without considering how much damage they could do with false help. This is, however, a very dangerous vanity, and all those do-gooders and confused dreamers have succumbed to it. They preach their worldview, for which they think they have a mission, with beautiful words and unclear sayings. Now, what happens if esotericists do not suppress this vanity? They succumb to the spirit of light. And indeed, again, not the normal good spirits that are recruited from the host of the spirits of wisdom, but rather the kind that work into the realm of the spirits of movement. The good spirits of light have the task of leading people into the spiritual world at night when they fall asleep. They are to direct the entrance of human beings into the spiritual world so that, although unconscious, they arrive there. If esotericists want to accelerate their development and in so doing do not learn what they of necessity must know about the spiritual world, the other spirits of light overpower them and influence the etheric body in such a way that the head is affected in the physical realm. Confusion, fanaticism, and finally worst of all, insanity ensue. Those who succumb to the spirit of heaviness injure only themselves, and we should try to help such people with all means possible, for we should love not only all of humanity, but every individual human being. However, those who succumb to the spirits of light can injure humanity, not only themselves, with their confused fanaticism. For this reason, we should question ourselves again and again, asking whether the reasons we want to develop ourselves are really selfless. We should never tire of learning, for the more we learn, the more self-evident will our humility become. We need have no fear if we feel the spirit of darkness in the following way. When, awakening in the morning, we feel exhausted and our limbs feel so heavy that we can hardly move them, this is a passing stage and is a sign that we have skipped over the false stage of hypochondria. And those who at certain times have the feeling that they can hardly hold themselves with their feet on the earth, that they must hover they do not have to be worried either, for they have skipped over the stage of fanaticism and this symptom is developmentally normal. 
The human soul is kept in balance by the spirit of heaviness and the spirit of light, and an esotericist should always be concerned not to disturb this balance. Instruction concerning this balance is given to us from the Masters of Wisdom in the prayer that we speak at the conclusion of this lesson, a prayer that contains all the wisdom of the world that will be revealed to us more and more. Beginning of the quote, In the Spirit lay the seed of my body. Close quote. End of Record A. Record B. First, the spirit of the day is invoked, Mercury. There are symptoms that appear in the esoteric life which have great significance for an esotericist. After the preceding lessons have had their effect on us, it is necessary still to receive these last in order to connect them to a whole. In ordinary external life, the world itself corrects the mistakes we have brought with us through our inborn constitution. But in an esoteric life, our character traits and predispositions have an entirely different significance. Indeed, this goes so far that the word that characterizes a certain trait no longer even expresses what is characteristic of this trait. We have been told that arrogance, vanity, and pride are dangerous. However, if we wanted to entirely eliminate these traits from ourselves with our striving for balance, then we would lose our feeling for self. The I capital would dissolve away, and we would become human beings without content. On the other hand, the character trait that could be called love works in a way just as dangerous. People who are always inclined to give only love and believe that they must help everyone fall into the other extreme. There is danger that they are always concerned about themselves and become wrapped up in their own I. When characteristic traits appear, there are always two forces in play that work against one another. If there were only love, as the greatest thing in the world, then nothing at all would exist. An opposing force must always hold the balance. Thus today we will point out those forces or beings that work in us and call forth those peculiar states in us that every esotericist knows. The first state is that of a bad mood, an irritation in the soul that rises apparently without any reason which can find a reason in every petty problem and can deteriorate into such vehemence that the entire nature of a person can appear changed. In this case, we are dealing with beings belonging to the hierarchy of primal powers, archai, which are beneficial beings when they remain in their own realm. But when they step out of their own realm into that of the spirits of form, their work is destructive. They are called spirits of heaviness and they help us to come down to the earth in the morning when we awaken. This often gives us a feeling of heaviness, of lethargy upon awakening. But when we add a bad mood to this, then these spirits work upon us in a disadvantageous way and make everything heavy and dark for us. They then influence the physical body and fill it with darkness 
so that one is as if tied to the earth. If the eye does not oppose this and does not suspect the dangers that threaten, then the spirits rule over the eye. The human being becomes powerless and succumbs to hypochondria. Everyone knows how hard it is to heal hypochondria. This illness always points to an effect of an earlier incarnation as an esotericist, for it cannot arise in one incarnation. When the spirits of heaviness have thus overcome us, this shows itself in illnesses of the lower body and the organs of digestion. Now, we must also make the acquaintance of the spirits of light, which are also beneficial when they remain in their own realm. However, when they step outside their realm and move themselves into the realm of the spirits of movement, they bring trouble to human beings. This is the case, for example, when people imagine they must help humanity, but actually they have the desire to ascend higher without any effort, and they want to lose themselves in love. Then the spirits of light penetrate into these people and bring them to fanaticism so that all their ideas are transformed into something untrue. Such people think that they are forces for the good and that they should improve the world. When people succumb to the power of these spirits, then the eye is so filled with itself that it can no longer see the things outside of itself in proper perspective. Finally, such people succumb to a state where the body is influenced and, indeed, the brain is destroyed. However, if they react against these forces and attempt to understand that it is all only fantasy that they believe they can help others, and so forth, and, rather, they attempt to redirect their forces away from this occupation with love, suppress within every desire for progress, and trust that the proper maturity will appear at the proper time, then these spirits work as beneficial powers, step by step, bringing them closer to the light. These are the spirits that help us at night when we fall asleep, that bring us to the light. Thus we must constantly be on the lookout for these two forces, and when they show themselves in our feelings, we should immediately be alert and direct our attention inward toward ourselves. If we have a bad mood, if we are irritated and have always wakefully battled it, then the moment will come when we feel that our body is done in, that it pains us even into the marrow. This will be proof that we are victors. And if we are inclined to fanaticism, as is here described, and we have courageously fought against it, then a feeling will come over us as though we no longer had any legs to stand on, as if the body were too light for the ground to hold it firmly. This is proof that we have won our battle with the spirits of light. These are the consequences of exercises that have been properly carried out and they should encourage us to go forward bravely rather than becoming fearful and in a bad mood. When we gradually learn to understand how we are always surrounded on all sides by forces that influence us, 
then we learn to live through our days with full self-consciousness and establish a balance between all these influences working on us. Thus we also better understand the concluding words of our discussion, whose first half presented the spirit of heaviness. I'm going to try the German. Im Geistelag der Keim meines Leibes. Translation, in the spirit lay the seed of my body. And in second half, the spirit of light. In meinen Leibe liegt des Geistes Keim. In my body lies the seed of the spirit. The end of record B. Record C. The fivefold spirit and where it works and how he expresses himself. Number one, the spirit of truth. Number two, the spirit of devotion. Number three, the spirit of good of a good attitude. Number four, the spirit of heaviness. Number five, the spirit of light. The kingdom of the primal powers is the kingdom of the spirit of heaviness. The primal powers or the spirits of personality work in the physical body. They are properly what hold the human being on the earth. The work of the spirit of heaviness, when they are working as do the spirits of form, that is, in the eye, is improper. If the spirit of heaviness works there, then it happens that irritation, bad moods, hysteria, and hypochondria appear. The heaviness of the body is good. The spirits of wisdom work properly as spirits of light in the etheric body. They produce healthy judgment. It is wrong when they work as spirits of movement. Then their work is revealed as confusion, fanaticism, as improper working even into the physical body. The Rose Cross Let us imagine a plant, the cross and a red rose. It is the blush of a plant. In this case, we need to imagine the cross as white and the rose as green, that is, in its complementary color. The end of that lesson. Esoteric Lesson, given in Christiania, Oslo, June 16, 1910. Record A, Manuscript from Matilda Scholl and Barbara Wolfe. Record B, Notes from the Collection of Elizabeth Freda. Record A. Exoterically regarded, theosophy is knowledge. What we learn in exoteric lectures, as esotericists we should take into our thinking, feeling, and willing, so that we can then let it flow out into our exoteric lives. This is esoteric work. And what happens through this work? How can we carry a simple theosophical truth directly into life? For example, There is the truth concerning falling asleep and waking up. That is, the truth that the physical and etheric bodies remain behind while the I and the astral body go into the spiritual world. In ancient times, human beings received prayers to say in the evening before falling asleep and in the morning after waking. That was good because they strengthened their souls with spiritual forces by preparing themselves before entering the spiritual realm. And after they had left the spiritual world, they permeated their souls once again with higher forces. They extracted soul forces out of the spiritual world, so to speak. The three kingdoms below the human being 
the mineral plant and animal kingdoms, are permeated by spiritual forces that are constantly renewed. So, too, the four elements, fire, water, air, and earth. It is different with human beings. If they do not put themselves in touch with these spiritual forces, then they do not receive them. When they fall asleep without having prepared themselves, they do not receive an influx of spiritual forces in the spiritual world that they enter. Materialistic people, no matter how well educated, how scientific or prominent, when they enter the spiritual world unprepared, they stand far below the simplest primitive people, who, through their prayer, are already in touch with forces in the spiritual world. In our materialistic age, whose scientific accomplishments are so boundlessly amazing, human beings have more and more forgotten how to pray. They fall asleep and awaken with their everyday thoughts. But what are they doing in this way? For something is happening through this omission. Every time they kill something of their spiritual life, of their spiritual forces on the physical plane. Human beings are unconscious when they go into the spiritual world. If, for example, a man were to fall asleep around eleven o'clock and wake up unprepared at twelve in the spiritual world, he would not recognize where he was. He would have the feeling that he was spread out over infinite space and had lost his center. Such a person would be in ecstasy. Quote, out of himself, close quote, in the actual meaning of the word. This ecstasy was artificially induced in the Druid mysteries in ancient times in order to cause the pupils to experience higher worlds consciously. However, so that the pupil did not lose himself, so that his I capital was not lost, twelve helpers had to stand at his side. These helpers poured the entire power of their pure eyes into him at the moment when the ecstasy began. That much power was necessary in order to prevent this dissolution of self. This druid initiation was the external path, expanding into the cosmos, while the inner path was followed in the old Egyptian mysteries. There, those to be initiated had to seek a path through the lower astral world during three and a half days. That means that they had to climb into their own inner being. Twelve pure priests had to accompany the pupils so that they were not taken hold of and overcome by all the lower drives, desires, and passions that slumbered deep in their being, what otherwise only in the course of their incarnations would slowly be worked through in ordinary evolution. Unknown vices would have been awakened in them if the twelve priests had not protected them with their purity. Today neither of these paths mentioned would be possible because modern human beings would rebel against such an intervention into the I, the self, and they would object to the patronizing treatment of their drives, desires, and passions. The Rosicrucian school combines both parts, and at the same time allows human beings complete freedom. They themselves must, through the meditations given to them, 
acquire the power that was given to them earlier by helpers. Through this work on themselves, esotericists increase the spiritual forces that humanity needs. They battle against the desolation that will appear as a result of the terrible materialism because people have simply forgotten their connection with the spiritual world, forgotten how they can obtain forces from those worlds. When the time comes when human souls are becoming increasingly desolate and empty, then it will be the task of esotericists to let their spiritual forces work in a lively way. Under all blows of destiny, they will be able to maintain a cheerful balance in their souls and thereby cause happiness to flow to the rest of humanity and thereby relieve its soul pain. This soul pain will be felt by people as agony, as a consequence of the achievements of materialistic science. Today many ways have been found to anesthetize physical pain, to make it disappear, but in reality the pain has not disappeared. We are also taught in exoteric science that no force disappears, and so the power of pain does not go away either, but rather expresses itself in other ways. The pain returns again in later incarnations as soul agony. Thus the human being will have to go through intense psychological pain, and esotericists will then use spiritual forces that they bring down from the heights in order to relieve this agony. Every one of us has made a decision, even if unconsciously, when we entered upon the path of esotericism, a decision to intervene in a helping way in the suffering of humanity. The End of Record A Record B In earlier, less materialistic times, prayer was a customary activity before falling asleep and upon awakening. Humanity little suspects the injury it is causing itself by entirely laying aside this habit. Through prayer, people obtained strength from the spiritual world for daily life when they awakened. In the evening, they took the strength that they had gathered in their daily lives with them into the spiritual world. Thus our exercises today are also intended so that our strength for the spirit may grow more quickly and so that we learn to employ it consciously. It's the end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Christiania, Oslo, June 18, 1910. Record A, manuscript from Matilda Scholl and Barbara Wolfe. Record B, notes from the collection of Elizabeth Freda. Record A. In the ancient Egyptian mystery schools, those beings prepared for initiation intended that that incarnation was to be dedicated entirely to initiation, for it was a life-or-death procedure. They had to undergo trials that placed great demands on their courage. For example, they were shown things that could so stir up their fear that they fell over dead. If they lived through these trials, then they had arrived on the other shore and were newborn. They had descended to the God in their inner being. They had encountered the drives, desires, and passions in their own bodies and had victoriously withstood the encounter. 
they could now say to themselves, Ex Deo Nasimur. Now, one could ask about the evil that was encountered on the path to the inner God. Does that also come from the gods? Here, we must always say that it was originally something divine, that only we human beings made it into something evil. The path of ecstasy was followed in the Druid mysteries. Those beings initiated united themselves with the spirit that held sway everywhere in nature, ter spiritum sanctum revivissimus. In the Rosicrucian path, the two paths are united, that is, from each was taken what is beneficial for us. The modern human being can no longer be initiated unconsciously. Since the advent of the Christ principle, the human being must be present with his or her waking consciousness. The meditations given to us by the masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings are all directed toward the Christ, even though his name might not appear in them. The words, beginning of quote, in pure rays of light, close quote, are so arranged that if one makes oneself deaf and blind toward the closest environment, one slowly lifts one's etheric body out of the physical. And in this way one is united with Christ's etheric aura, which is now the aura of our earth. If we were to lift ourselves out of our bodies without the content of our meditations, then the soul would be alone with itself. Now, however, it is permeated by Christ and experiences what Paul said, quote, Now it is not I who live, but Christ in me. Close quote. And, quote again, In pure love to all beings. Quote, in pure love to all beings. Close quote. With these words we are reminded that everything soul-like is woven out of love. This meditation is a slow dying of the lower I, the lower self. And in this dying and coming to life again in Christ, we have the connection between the two paths, in Christo Morimor. It is a conscious expansion and living into the Christ Spirit. For this reason we also have added the word sanctum to the words perspiritum. End of record A. Record B. One of the greatest advantages achieved by esotericists is when they faithfully apply what the masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings have compiled in corresponding pictures or principles. They're followed as explanation of the meditation, quote, in pure rays of light, close quote. It was described how one is gradually made free of the body and thus goes into the spiritual world. In the second part of the meditation, esotericists at the same time penetrate into their own inner souls. That which had to be experienced separately in the past should now take place simultaneously, since humanity is now further advanced. These meditations are based on that. When one has become so strong that one feels oneself transported into a spiritual world outside of one's body, then the next step is that one begins to perceive something in that world. However, since at the same time one is also penetrating into one's inner being, one also experiences the dangers of illusion all the more. 
At that moment we are in the grip of the forces of temptation, and we imagine pictures that we then take for realities. But precisely the most beautiful, the noblest visions, are the deepest illusions. Only a long time after we have achieved the power to rise into the spiritual world is it possible for us to distinguish reality from illusion. Only the deepest seriousness with which we acquire theosophy makes this discernment possible. If we always carry in our souls, in our wakeful consciousness, the concepts given to us by theosophy, then we create the reality for the spiritual world. And if we achieve this, we will be able to recognize what we see. In the beginning we should defend ourselves against the visions, not allow them, and not, as usually happens, spin them out further and apply our fantasy to them. The moment will certainly come if we wait in the proper frame of mind when we will know whether we are dealing with something real or not. That is the end of that esoteric lection and the end of this first section of the book, which goes up to page 43.